We did have a verse on that chorus. We can bring the lights up, please. That one chorus, um, I'm not sure. They were singing one thing and the words are different, but we'll try to get that figured out next, next year, whatever. <laughs> there we go, I can see you. So, Christmas is all about lights. As we enter the Christmas season, we see lights all around us. We see Christmas tree lights. We see houses decked out with lights. We see lights on trees all over the place. We see lights on broadcast towers, water towers, lights on downtown office buildings. I don't know about you, I, I love lights. One of the greatest things, one of the most pleasant things about Christmas is seeing lights. They add color and charm and atmosphere to a season where the, the sun sets too early and rises too late. The lights of Christmas make a statement of celebration, a celebration of coming of the light, the light. All throughout history, light has been set against darkness, good versus evil, light versus darkness, and it's found even throughout our culture today. Can you bring me down just a bit? I feel like I'm overbearing. Light versus darkness, whether it's Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or the Hunger Games, good versus evil, light versus darkness. And today we're going to talk about light. We're going to talk about the light, the light that was given to us as a gift, the light gift. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 9. It's on page 559 in the Bible in front of you. Isaiah 9, we're going to read the first seven verses as we look at the light gift today. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We start by looking at a picture of the problem today. The picture of the problem. The book of Isaiah is a book of prophecy telling about future times. It's all future. He talks about a people that are in darkness. A people in darkness, a people walking in darkness, or those who live in a dark land. How many of you have ever experienced total darkness? Might have been in a cave somewhere where you turn out the lights, there is Nothing. We, in Eau Claire, we rarely experience total darkness. I remember several times that I experienced total darkness. One summer during my college years, I worked at a camp in upstate New York in the foothill of the Catskill Mountains. And once the sun went down out in this 
area way out in the foothills of the Catskill Mountains, it was absolutely pitch dark. And I remember one night, I forgot my flashlight and had to find my way back. And the only place there was light was in the cabin and just outside the cabins. And I had to go across the campground and I literally ran into trees trying to find my way. There was absolutely no light. It was a very confusing experience. And I remember what, what that felt like. Now Isaiah is writing to a people in total darkness. They cannot see, they're lost, they're bumping into things, there's no sense of direction. They're frightened and confused. And as you know, everything is magnified and more frightening in the dark. And, but this was not a literal physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness. This darkness comes in many different forms and we see it in the world around us and we experience it on a daily basis. The first one is the, the darkness of evil. Darkness of evil, where evil is pervasive, we find this awful, awful darkness. How many of you have seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, even some of you younger ones, that's good. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's been colorized, I think, but it's, I saw it first in black and white. It's been around a while. James Stewart, playing the main character, wished that he had never been born. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Some days you get up and say, man, I wish I'd never had been born. This is what his wish was. He wished he had never been born. And as can happen only in the movies, of course, he is transported through time to Bedford Falls, his hometown, showing what the town would have been like had he never been born. Had he never had the chance to make a positive difference for him to be the light, a light in Bedford Falls. And the, the contrast, if you remember the movie, was remarkable. There was evil and lawlessness and darkness. His life, bringing light into Bedford Falls, had dispelled that darkness of light just because of his, his life. It's a great picture. Well, the darkness of evil is pervasive in our world today. We see it all around us, whether it's immorality, pornography, child abuse, terrorism, greed, exploitation of women, children, young boys and girls, and sex trafficking. It's a dark world out there, and when we see it, we can be discouraged and say, I don't know how in the world we're going to cope with all this darkness. There's a darkness of evil. There's also a darkness of fear. Darkness of fear. If we don't know or believe we have a benevolent God who, who cares for us and watches out for us, we live in that fear because we feel like we're just on our own. And we experience fears of all shapes and, and sizes. Whereas fear of flying or terrorist bombings, being afraid to travel, accidents by weather, drunk drivers, afraid to rear children because we fear for their safety. Afraid to invest money, afraid we might lose them. The phone rings and you jump because you're afraid maybe it carries bad news. And of course, the media f feeds our fears with 95 to 97% of bad news. You can watch a whole news broadcast and they take the last two minutes or 30 seconds and now the good news of the day. And I'm going, is that all there was? Are you kidding me? It's bad news. And so we, we live in this fear of bad news. Then there's a, the darkness of ignorance. One of the greatest, and many of the greatest travesties, tra tra travesties, there we go, tragedy, travesty, it's put together, whatever, okay, would be that some of the diseases or sicknesses that are pervasive in the continent of Africa. And because of ignorance, entire families or villages are wiped out by disease. Thousands of orphan children, nobody tells them why. 
It's ignorance holding them back from life-saving medicines and help. Life-saving measures. Ignorance. And of course, we have a spiritual disease that is spread through ignorance, and that disease is called sin. Now, we don't like to talk about that word, sin, but sin is what we all experience. It's, it's a disease. It's a sickness. It's a state of who we are. We, every one of us is affected by that. And even though the effects are devastating and destroying families, and no one seems to be willing to, to speak the truth. And many here have been victims of th that, that, that ignorance of sin. Then there's a darkness called dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. It's really prevalent around Christmas time because you go to the mall and you see what everybody else has and you look at all the gifts advertised on the internet and you go, we, we just see all these things. And there's a tendency when we see what other people have that we can't have or don't have that we begin to be dissatisfied. There's an article written called Pursuing Happiness. Happiness, Pursuing Happiness by the Numbers. And he talks, this, this writer talks about any statistic pertaining to well-being. And he says, basically, we're doing a lot better than we were 100 years ago. He talks about how Americans have, have become the most ambitions, ambitious measure of human activity. And because of that, we've been really enormously successful. Not only do Americans live longer, but infant mortality, which once claimed more than one child in 10, has been dramatically reduced. We have flush toilets, refrigerators, central heating, electricity, non-existent at the turn of this last century. Now, last century, I'm talking 18 to 1900. And we just plain make more money. We have all the conveniences we need, the internet, instant access to information. But among the good news, a few numbers stick out. We've discovered that the suicide rate, instead of all that we have in America, the suicide rate, instead of going down, has gone up. At the homicide rate, there are almost five times as many homicides as there were 100 years ago. Most people, if, if they're asked, they say our, our social and moral values are, are declining and there's not much community. We're losing our sense of community and, and oneness as a people group. From an absolute perspective, people are better off now than they've ever been, but they don't believe life is getting better. See, the proliferation of stuff and all the things that we have doesn't make us happier. We found that generations today have led a materially richer existence than their parents, but they're less happy. Why is that? Well, it's the, it's, it's the sin of dissatisfaction. It's the problem, the darkness of dissatisfaction. Then there's a darkness of addiction. The Bible says he who commits sin is a slave to sin, whether it's alcohol, drugs, tobacco, pornography, there's a loss of personal control in addictions and habits. People are enslaved by that, and it's a darkness. And many here have, have dealt with that in your past or are dealing with it today. Darkness, finally, the darkness of violence. We don't have to look very far to see violence. We see it in every community, even, even in Eau Claire community. And we tend to think of wars and violence and shootings and all this stuff happening out there, but we have assaults and murders and rapes. We have violence here in this community, and it's a sense of darkness that happens. Now, all of the results of this darkness we experience today, even during the Christmas season, season of lights, people have experienced in the past. These are the kinds of darknesses that the people 
Isaiah was writing to years before the first Christmas. And into this darkness, Isaiah gives a promise. It's a promise of light. It's a promise of a gift of light. Into this dark, depressing, cold, cheerless world, this land of shadows and death comes a light. Isn't it amazing what light can do? When you go into a dark house or you go into a house, you don't turn on the dark switch, you turn on the light switch. What happens? Everything comes on. You can all of a sudden see everything. Well, let's look at the person of the light. Let's look at the person that's been promised here today. Verse 6, first part says, For to us a child is born, a son is given. When it says a child is born, it says a child is born to us, letter A. An incredible mystery. We call it the incarnation. Pastor Josh preached on this a couple weeks ago. Great message on the incarnation. About God taking human form. God becoming one of us. John 1, 1 through 5 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The message says that God moved into the neighborhood. He became one of us, which is just an amazing concept. He became one of us. There was a song written by pop artist Joan Osborne a few years ago entitled One of Us. And she began asking questions about this concept. She says, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? And if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? What if God was one of us? What if God had a face? What would it look like? And would you want to see? If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets, and she goes on and says, what if God was one of us? So what if God were one of us? He was one of us. The word, Jesus, a.k.a. God, became flesh. We saw his glory, the light shining in the darkness. Christmas is about this child being born. God the light entering the human race so we could just get a glimpse of what God was like. So we could begin to know who God is. So the child is born to us. And secondly, a son is given to us. There's a child born and a son given. Now the word given is a foreshadowing of the gift, the light gift. Whenever we give a gift, it requires some kind of cost. If you've been out Christmas shopping, and we have been, I haven't been able to go into the store that says, no, and I'm giving this as a gift, so I'd like to just take it from this. Can I do that? No, I have to pay for the gift so that I can give the gift. So there's always a cost to a gift. The giver pays it, the cost is not to the recipient of the gift. Somebody has to pay for the gift. And God gave us this gift, but it came at great cost and sacrifice to God. John 3.16 says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That giving was a gift in total. Jesus gave his life. It was a son given for us. Jesus gave his life for us. Christmas is about a child born, but it's also looking forward to the cross. The cross where it's the son who gave his life. And both phrases, both these phrases end with, to us, to us. Now we tend to think in, in global abstract terms. Jesus came for the whole world. You know, and it's kind of impersonalized. And he did come for the whole world. But he also came for you. He came for you. It, it's essential that we personalize this light gift that has meaning for each and every one of us. This light gift is for everyone, but it also is offered to individuals. It's meant to be received personally. This gift is offered, and we pray and ask Jesus to come into our life, and we receive and say, I accept your gift for me. It's a personal gift. It's for us, for you, every one of us. Now, we, we think in terms of relational ownership not in the term, a sense of control, but relationship. I, I talk about my dad or my mom. I talk about my wife or we talk about my husband. My daughter, my son, my uncle, etc. And here it's my God, my Savior. Jesus is my God, not in the sense of ownership or control. Because when you say, this is my wife, doesn't mean I control her. Far from it. But when I talk about my God and my Savior. It's not in the sense that we control God or anything. It's in the sense of relationship. So when we're talking about a child is born for you, son is born for you, we're talking about relationship with the living God. Relationship. And this gift is offered to everyone, but yet it's for me too. The son is given. Then we get to the next part of this passage, verse 6. We find that the, the child rules. This is kind of an interesting part of this passage. The child rules. In verse 6 it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? What does it mean the government will be on his shoulders? What does this prediction entail? When Jesus came the first time, he actually set up his kingdom or his kingship, his rule on earth. Now, to understand this, I'm just going to take a minute to, to, to flesh this out a little bit. Jesus was accused, in, in, mainly in the book of Matthew, of using demonic powers to perform miracles and cast out demons. He did these incredible things, and the, the religious leaders of the day says he's doing it by, by, by demons or by devil's power. But one key passage in Matthew 12, it says, says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? But he says, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, and, he, and that's what he did, he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, first, this passage speaks about this cosmic battle of good versus evil, light versus darkness, God versus Satan. And Jesus made it exceedingly clear that Satan was a real being. We can't deny that. 
It was clear he was a real being. He exercised influence on the earth. That there was warfare between good and evil, God and Satan. And when Jesus came, he said, now the kingdom of God has broken into the kingdom of Satan and was now at war with the demons of darkness and Satan himself. That's spiritual warfare, which is a whole different subject. But the kingdom or the rule that Jesus brought was an internal kingdom. It was in the spiritual realm, not the political or human or governmental realm. The locus of his rule was in the minds and hearts of human beings. So his kingdom was in our hearts. That's where he came to reign and rule. His kingdom is in our lives. But the results work their way out in the human, earthly, and governmental realm. That's why we are to be engaged in our world, whether it's politics, government, civic responsibility, etc. Because how else are we to influence our world? But the starting point is the heart. Starting point is the heart. It's spiritual. But it must move beyond the spiritual to make practical moral differences in our culture. Now this prophecy says the government will be, will rest upon his shoulders. In other words, the government will be supported or placed upon or founded upon Jesus. This means to be placed or imposed as a burden or responsibility on Jesus' shoulders. This means everything that happens in the world, the government, the, everything that goes on, it's on his shoulders. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's not the U.S. Supreme Court or Congress or the president or military. All of this rests on God's shoulders. In other words, God is sovereign. When he says the government will rest on his shoulders, he said God is sovereign. God is in control. God is boss. Jesus is in control. Now, I, I don't know about you. But we have a lot of crazy things happening in our country. We have a lot of crazy things happening in our country and everything you can imagine that's going on in the world. And whether it's impeachment or wild weather, earthquakes, wildfires, you, every, everything seems kind of out of control right now. Well, it's not. Jesus is in control. You know what? We have got to enter Christmas season no matter all that it looks, the government rests on Jesus' shoulders. God is in control. Doesn't negate our, our need for involvement and engagement and getting involved and staying informed, but we can't take responsibility for those kinds of things. We have to say that God is ultimately in control. Jesus established his sovereignty by his, again, by his death, burial, and resurrection. So we have a child born to us the son given to us, the child rules, is sovereign. And then we have the child's character or names, letter D. Child's character's name, and he will be called, or his name will be called. This means his essential characteristics will be this, or this is what he will do. The names or characteristics of this child, this light gift that's going to come someday, is inseparable from who he is. So what are, the, what are his names? Who is it? What will he do? Five expressions that we find. And different versions have these divided a little differently, but we'll take one at a time. First one is wonderful. Wonderful, it, which means evokes wonders or supernatural natural phenomenon. The, the, this one word, wonderful, really is a word that expresses unbelievable, immeasurable wonder at the nature of who God is. It evokes awe. It evokes awe. Now, I am continually awestruck 
when I read articles about a new discovery about the universe or about the planet Earth, they discover certain things on the bottom of the oceans they didn't know. You know, we've been on this Earth for a long time. There's so much we don't know. And then the Hubble telescope sees something and we get this picture on the internet. We go, oh my goodness, this is, this is another galaxy out there. Look at the color. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what we, what we see. Awestruck. God made all of that stuff. And Jesus says he is wonderful. He evokes awe because he was present at creation. He was present today, and he's in control. Awestruck. His name will be called Wonderful, being awestruck. Awe. Second word is counselor. Counselor. This has to do with wisdom and discernment. Proverbs 3.19 says, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided, and the clouds, clouds let drop the dew. Wisdom. And our world seems in crisis. No one seems to have the wisdom to solve our problems. All the king's horses, all the king's men, nobody could put the world back together again. That's what we're looking at. And this has to do with macro wisdom, which is world, world problems. It also has to do with micro wisdom, personal issues. Personal. This is personal. It's not just God is the God and has wisdom for all that out there. He also has wisdom for each and every one of us, every situation we face. National crises, personal challenges. See, God set this world up, and he knows best how it works. I know we, people argue with that all the time and say, well, you know, we have a better idea. That's why we take God's design for marriage, one man, one woman for life. That's why we follow his word. Whether it's the Ten Commandments, Jesus' expansion or explanation of the Ten Commandments, the guidelines that are given us in the Bible, the inerrant word of God, this is his wisdom. He made it all, and he gets to make the rules. He knows how it was designed to operate. And we need wisdom for our personal lives, too, especially our marriages, relationship struggles, depression during Christmas season, school issues, problems with friends or boyfriends, girlfriends, problems with parents, budget, money issues, health issues. Jesus brings supernatural wisdom for natural problems. Light for the darkest time. Then number three, mighty God. This gets better and better. Mighty God, this attributes deity or divinity to this child born. So, which basically says, this light gift that's going to be born is God. He was God and he is God. And mighty God, the whole term mighty God denotes a mighty hero or God our warrior, which means God fights for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you said, I need an advocate, okay? And I'm not talking about necessarily an attorney. I just need somebody on my side that will fight for me. That's what, that's what Jesus is. That's what the light gift is. He's our mighty warrior. He will fight for you. He'll fight the battles for you. And when you get to the point where you don't know what to do, that's a good place to be. So then you say, I, <laughs> I guess I need God. I guess I need God in this. And he will fight the battle. for No matter what the battle is, he'll fight it for you. Mighty God. That's his job. Then there's eternal father, number four. Here's a child, yet a father. Eternal means one who inhabits eternity, no beginning, no end. He always has been. This light gift, this child that's going to be born someday is eternal. Eternal. Father means leader, provider, giver of love, nurtures, gives guidance. Now, some of you this morning may have a positive image of father. There's some of you that don't. But this image of father, 
is one of perfect love and perfect provision. He's the God who will provide all our needs in Christ Jesus. Eternal Father. And number five, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our peace. Do we need peace today? <laughs> oh my goodness. Do we need peace? We need peace. And in the kingdom of God, this peace supersedes and transcends our personal circumstances and present dimensions. Peace in the Hebrew language uh, means prosperity as well as tranquility. It's absence of conflict, but it's also well-being. It's wholeness in all direction, relationally, with our circumstances, with people, with everything, being at peace in every dimension. So when he's talking about Prince of Peace, it means being whole in every direction. This child is born to us. This son is given to us, and it gives us that peace. And it says this kingdom grows, verse 7. This kingdom grows. There will be no end to the increase of his government and peace. What does that mean? It means that this light gets rid of darkness, and it will continue and continue and continue to get rid of darkness forever. It's the power of light. Let's briefly look at just some practical ways that light replaces darkness. Say, we, we've got this light gift, what does it do? First, letter A, the light of goodness displaces the darkness of evil. The light of goodness displaces the darkness of evil. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, good. Secondly, the light of faith dispels the darkness of fear. Light of faith dispels the darkness of fear. Luke 8.50 says, do, don't be afraid, just believe. Luke 8.50 in the NASV says, do not be afraid any longer, assuming there was fear. And I think we can always say, yeah, I've had fear. He says, only believe. And believe is not in the ab abstract sense of I just believe and hope for, the, hope for the best. That's fatalism. That's just ignorance. We're talking about faith. Faith has to have an object of trust. In other words, it can't be just I have faith. There has to be an object of faith. If you go and you sit down on the pew or the chair, you have to have faith that it's gonna hold you up. And I don't see many people walking around and pushing it and doing this and making sure, but they have faith in that chair that it'll hold them up. That's an object of trust. See, you just come and you sit down because you believe that it'll hold you up. Our faith has to be directed at a person, at someone, and that object of faith is Jesus. It's not just God out there somewhere. This is a person, a personal relationship, person that we know, Jesus. See, the light of truth replaces the darkness of ignorance. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. First it may make you miserable, but it will set you free eventually. You will know the truth. That's something that we are hoping for all throughout our history and everything that's happening in our world, that truth will be known. It'll replace darkness of ignorance. Letter D, the light of joy removes the darkness of dissatisfaction. Joy. I loved, I loved the, the event that our women, women's luncheon had. They had definitions of joy, what joy is. Elegant joy was the name of the women's event. And Becky described very clearly what the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness depends on happenstance or circumstances. Joy transcends all of that. 
And joy removes the, the darkness of dissatisfaction. Letter E, the light of freedom supplants the darkness of bondage. Freedom gets rid of bondage. And then letter F, the final one, the light of peace displaces the darkness of violence. It's the end of violence. Now, when we look at this prophecy, this was given a long time before Jesus came. And it can only be fulfilled in its entirety at the end of history. At some point, we'll get to that point in history. But in the meantime, we can experience much of its fulfillment as we embrace the light, the light gift, embrace Jesus, and allow him to dispel all these darknesses. Desperately, we desperately need this light, this light gift in our personal lives, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the U.S., all over the world. We desperately need this light. The problem is darkness, the promise, the person of Jesus, and the power is that light removes darkness. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us tangible illustrations. We thank you that you gave us light. And I pray, Lord, today that we would just begin to understand in small ways how your light shines in the darkness and that we are that light. And Emmanuel, God, you came to be with us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue your work in our lives as light. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?